Welcome to the New Beginnings Fellowship Podcast, where our goal is to encounter the presence of Jesus and bring His transforming power to the world around us. For service times or more info about us, check out our website at newbeginningscos.com. All right, John 4, 7. So a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask me, a woman of Samaria, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, and I want pay close attention to this section because we're going to come back to this. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. I love, I love how he says this very matter-of-factly, like what you've said is true. Like, I don't think, you know, sometimes we picture Jesus as very stoic. I don't think that's who he was. I think he had a playful side, and I think he's going, yeah, you're right. You don't, <laughs> he's not your husband. You're, you're telling the truth. Like, just, just trying to, like, kind of pull out her story a little bit, but in a way that doesn't make her feel too uncomfortable. And I think that Jesus is so good at putting us at ease, even when he's going into the places of our vulnerability. And then look at her response. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Good perception. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. So what I love about this passage is Jesus is just sitting there waiting. Like, this is a divine prophetic setup. Like, he knows she's coming. God's given him the download on who she is, and she, she, he just says, hey, will you give me some water? He starts out with just human connection. And then he begins to reveal more of his purpose and who he is. Hey, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water and I'd give it to you. And then he begins to pull out her life a little bit and kind of put it on display. And that feels very vulnerable. Like for most of us, we don't want that pulled out, especially by a random stranger. Like we do a very good job trying to protect and, and contain our vulnerability from people. And here Jesus kind of pulls it out. But what's interesting is her response to that. So he's, he's like, hey, 
you are a woman who has had heartbreak. You're a woman who has experienced relational pain. And he wants to minister to that place in her. And her response is, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Which mountain are we supposed to worship on? Distraction, deflection. And what's interesting is she moves instantly from places of the heart to places of the mind. That's what a lot of us end up doing. A lot of us use our mind to protect our heart. We use intellectual arguments, we use theology, we use deep words and, and abstract scenarios to protect ourselves from vulnerable reality. The word vulnerable, it's, it's a 1600 is around where it came forth. And it's Latin, the word, the word vulnere or, or vulnerare or vulnerabilis, all these Latin little things, essentially just means wounding, to wound. So vulnerable means able to be wounded. So when we think of being vulnerable, it's this idea that I'm, I'm making myself able to be wounded. It's very easy to look at that and go, well, why would you do that? <laughs> That's not practical. That doesn't make sense. You're supposed to protect yourself from being wounded. And yet, there are certain levels of intimacy, certain levels of connection, and depths of being a part of each other's lives that we cannot experience without vulnerability. God wants to meet with us. He wants to meet with us deeply. He doesn't just want to slice off the top. He wants the depth, the width, and the whole of you. And many of us have lived, either by circumstances or by habit, in ways that have made our hearts difficult to reach. We use our minds to protect our hearts. Here's why I'm bringing this up. We as a church are really hungry to go after the presence of God. We want to meet with him. We want to connect with him. We don't want just to do things because it's what churches do. We want to do things because it's what he's doing. Jesus said, I see what my father is doing and I do what he's doing and I say what he's saying. And that's what we want to be as a people. So we've got to go after his presence. But to do that, we have to think about what does that actually mean? What does that require of us? You know, when Jesus came to the earth, he didn't just show up out of the blue. Someone came to prepare the way. Who was that? John the Baptist came to prepare the way, right? Isaiah 40 is the prophetic declaration of what John the Baptist's role was on the earth. In his role, it says he's going to come. The voice in the wilderness saying, prepare the way of the Lord. There is a preparation for the way of the Lord. In that part of that preparation, he says, raise the valleys and lower the hills. Raise the valleys and lower the hills. If we think about what that means in our hearts, in our own lives, I want a connection with God. I want his presence. I want more than just to read the Bible and live a good, happy, kind life. I want him. I want to know what he's doing. I want to connect with him, to know him. I don't want to wait for that to happen until I die. But part of that means that I need to have some preparation in here. Part of that means that those hills, that's pride. That's where my pride says, I don't, I don't want people to look at me weird. I have a reputation. I want to be seen a certain way. I'm going to protect myself. Or the valley's being raised. That's where there's fear. That's where we have areas in our, in our hearts where it's like, I, I'm ashamed of who I am. And I can't come forth. And I can't be vulnerable. 
and we get these, these bumps and these inconsistencies and these, these hills and valleys that happen in our hearts through the pain of life, through the choices we've made, through choices other, other people have made that we have to suffer the consequences of. But regardless of how it happened, there's a preparation that has to take place if we really want to be vulnerable and say, God, I'm inviting you to connect with me in a deep way. Religion sets up a system where we follow certain rules or we do or say certain things, but a religious understanding of God can only align us with his rules. A personal connection with God aligns us with his heart. And Jesus is inviting us into encounters with him, into his presence. A life of purpose, I'll say, is fueled. A life of purpose is fueled by a personal encounter with God. We can do a lot of good things in our lives, but what we do out of the place of encounter with God, out of encountering his presence, his voice, who he is, that's where heaven meets earth. That's where the world really begins to change. In, a, in movie language, I'm a real movie buff. Any other movie people? So I'm a movie nerd. It's called a meet-cute. And so in rom-coms, there's the meet-cute. It's how the couple meets. And it's this, you know, fun, circumstantial, like, oh, they bump into each other and he spilled her coffee. And like, oh. And then they lock eyes and it's like, and then they leave. And then there's more, you know, there's drama, of course. Um, how many of you guys have seen You've Got Mail? Do you know that one? One of my favorites. You've Got Mail or The Lake House. Has anybody seen that? Lesser known. Keanu Reeves, right? My mom's like, uh-huh. <laughs> in those two, what's interesting is there's a long period of the movie where the main characters actually haven't met. They're communicating, but they haven't met. Can you imagine how interesting would that movie be if those two characters go through the entire movie communicating through distance, but never actually meeting? It would be a major letdown. It'd be like the build-up, the build-up, and then nothing happens. There's got to be an encounter. They have to come in contact with each other. That's the whole point. That's where the fireworks happen. That's where the drama and the emotion and every, all the good stuff is. We've got to meet our God. John 5, verse 39, Jesus says, You're busy analyzing the scriptures, pouring over them, hoping to gain eternal life. Everything you read points to me yet you still refuse to come to me so I can give you the life you're looking for. Jesus is saying, look, the scriptures are good, but they're a sign to me. They're pointing to me. The point of the word of God, how many of you guys have heard the phrase sola scriptura? Some people are very passionate about this idea that it's only the Bible, only the Bible, only the Bible. Listen, the Bible's the word of God. The last thing I will ever do is try to lower it down to anything human. But who's the living word? Yeah, the, the Bible says the truth will set you free, right? And some people think, well, the truth is in the Bible. And Jesus said, I am the... Right? Knowledge, ideas, don't set hearts free. Encounters set hearts free. We have to meet him. God wants to get close to us. You know, when we think about vulnerability, here's the interesting thing. Making yourself able to be wounded, right? 
God did it first. Think about the Garden of Eden. He puts Adam and Eve there. And what does he do? He doesn't just say, go off and have fun. He walks with them in the cool of the day. He's communing with them on a regular basis. He's like, let's hang out. How are you guys? What do you think? What about that tree? What do you want to name these things? Adam, Eve's pretty hot. What do you think? How did I do? (laughs) He loves being with them. But what did he do? He took the one thing that could cause the deepest pain to their connection, the deepest pain to their relationship, and he left it exposed. He left it right there. Talk about being vulnerable. God said, you want to hurt me, you can go ahead and hurt me. I will never let you go. Can we do that? Better question might be to ask, what keeps us from, us from doing that? Because if we do want his presence, we have to recognize that there's times that maybe not intentionally, but we end up getting a heart of stone. We end up building up a resistance to that kind of vulnerability, to that kind of connection, because it's scary. And we've all, all of us, every single person in this room at one time or another has done it and been hurt. But we have to know the one person who couldn't hurt us, who wouldn't hurt us, who would only bring life to us, is often the one that we're the most afraid to have a deep connection with. But we were made to be close to him. He's constantly pressing in to get close to us. Listen, if you've never had a personal encounter with God or something that you describe, like, I met him, it was powerful, he was there. Like, if you haven't had that, this is not a guilt thing. I'm not trying to say you're a lesser Christian. I'm not trying, you know, if we talk about musical instruments or thing, we don't blame somebody who hasn't played the piano for not knowing what note each key is on the piano. But it's what you were created for. It's what you were designed for. It's what you were built for. It doesn't matter how old you are there is an opportunity for you to meet with him in a personal way. And that's what we're going after. And listen, the other thing about that is it looks different for different people. I am very intentional to do two things about my my encounters with God. First of all, I don't judge them. I don't judge my encounters with God. Sometimes I'm in worship and I just have a, a subtle sense of his presence. And I just enjoy that. I might see other people like having wild, crazy moments with God. And I don't judge my own experience. I treasure it. And I go, God, thank you for what I get. Thank you for what I'm encountering. But also, God, just like my kids, like, can't get enough. It's like, I want more. There's no such thing as one cookie in my household. (laughs) In the same way, it's like, God, I'm grateful. I'm not going to judge this experience. But I want more. Sometimes we just say, God, I'm grateful for this experience. That's all I was made for. They were made for the big, wild, crazy encounters. They were made to hear your voice audibly. That person over there, they get to be directed and feel your spirit and and get all this cool stuff. And I was just designed for the subtle piece. That's it. That's okay. It's good to be content and grateful for what he gives you and not to compare it and judge it against other people. But at the same time, I don't want everything someone else is getting. I want everything that God wants for me. And I haven't gotten it yet. I have to be able to say I'm not content with all I have because I know you're a big God and I know you have more. 
So I'm going after more. So I'm content and I'm grateful. I'm not going to judge the encounters that I have. But I want every single counter that you would offer to me throughout this life, I want it. And I'm going to go after it. I'm going to chase it. There's a hunger even in the midst of contentment and gratitude. There's two main ways that we can begin to encounter him and get vulnerable and get into that place. The first is when he seeks us. He's chasing after us. We can have encounters with him because he just, boom, he just meets us. Ezekiel 34.11 says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. We have the story of Samuel, right? Samuel's just, he's just trying to sleep, and he hears God calling to him. God is the instigator. He's the pursuer in some of these situations. That doesn't mean that we don't do anything, you know, but if it's, if it's like hide or seek and God's the seeker, I want to make myself easy to find. I'm going to position myself to be available for him to find. When I play hide and seek with my kids, they are intentionally bad hiders. It's like they haven't figured out how you're supposed to play the game. Like, I'm the full-grown adult trying to cram myself into a cupboard because I'm like, you will not find me. And they're standing behind the curtains with their feet kicking out, going, <laughs> just laughing because they want to be found. Even if God is the seeker, I'm going to do what I can to go, God, I'm available. I'm listening. I'm ready. Where are you? Are you there? Can you hear me? You can find me. Like, I want to make myself available to him. I have a, a, a fun story. It was fun. I, I, my dad actually asked me about it the other day, and it brought it back to my mind. But one of these stories for me was I got real busy in my life as a, as a young person, and um, I was just starting to drive. It took me until I was 18 to get my license. I was a slow, a slow driver. And then um, I was driving my dad's car and filled it up with gas, went like down this road, and it's the middle of the night, it's probably 9, 9, 9.30 p.m. And I left the gas cap on top of the car. And it fell off somewhere. After I'd filled the car with gas, I drove up this road called 10 Mile, and I drove back, and then I drove back down the road to our house, and then I realized the gas cap is missing. I'm, now listen, now I'm an adult, I'm like, you just buy a new gas cap, it's not that big a deal. But then I was like, oh, my dad's going to kill me. I was just like, oh, just really freaking out. And so I drove out, and I drove to the gas station. And I look everywhere, and I can't find it. And I drive up 11 Mile, and I'm like, this is a busy street. There's no way I'm going to find anything here. So I give up. It's 10 p.m. It's pitch black. It's dark. And I start driving down the street to our home. There's no street lights, and there are trees covering the entire road. So I really can't see without my headlights. And all of a sudden, the spirit says, pull over the car. And I'm like, okay. So I go to the next intersection. I wait for the, the, the road, and I pull over, and he says, get out of the car. And so I get out of the car, and he says, walk to the other side and put your hand down. And at this point, I'm like, I'm either really insane or something very cool is about to happen. <laughs> so I walk to the other side of the car, and I'm no, no lie, no kidding. I held my hand up in front of my face, and I could not see my hand. It was that dark. And I take my hand like this, and I reach down, and in the middle of my hand is the gas cap. And I heard him say, even when you're busy and you're not paying attention to me, I care about absolutely every part of your life. 
Talk about feeling vulnerable. I just busted up crying. I'm like, I've been busy. It's like, here's the thing. He wasn't trying to make me feel bad. That's the thing. Like, my natural tendency is like, oh, I feel so guilty. And he's like, no, like, I just want you to know I care. I'm here. I didn't go anywhere. Even if you do. He chases us. But the other thing, guys, is we can seek him. We can chase him. That is much more vulnerable. It's much more vulnerable for me to be the one going after him. Because what if he rejects me? What if he doesn't show up? What if I chase after him and they're getting him and I'm not getting him? What if he doesn't like what he sees when I get there? What if he has only bad stuff to say? Jesus said, seek me and you will find me. And he tells a parable of a field, the kingdom of heaven being like a field. Then a man sold everything to buy that field and go after. There's something that Jesus is trying to instill in us of a sense of, listen, everything you own is worth selling and getting rid of to go after this field, the kingdom of heaven, living in the presence of God and living in, in what he has put in front of you in your life. Like the kingdom of heaven isn't just like, hey, I get to live by nice principles and rules. It's not just, hey, I get to follow the kingdom commandments. It's no, it's, it's intimacy with your maker and walking out the path with him that he has for you in your life. Sometimes going after God means taking every opportunity you can to connect with him. And sometimes those, those opportunities come in really weird places. Another story I experienced was um, I went to this meeting with a friend. Honestly, I don't remember where it was or who the friend was. I just remember the meeting. And it was at this little, little church, and I went in, and they're having a prayer time. And after the prayer time, people are going up for prayer, and a couple people are, like, getting slain in the spirit. And listen, I have nothing negative to say about being slain in the spirit. In fact, I guarantee you we're going to start seeing stuff like that happen here. So if that weirds you out a little bit, I'm sorry. We'll talk about it. We'll work through it. God, listen, God doesn't have to be weird. The Holy Spirit doesn't have to be weird. But we also don't want to say, no, I won't go there with you because that's out of my box. I've never been slain in the spirit. So I'm going to preface the story with this. It's never happened to me. So I don't know what it feels like. It looks pretty awesome. Some people come out of it and they're like, oh, I had this amazing, I saw Jesus and he spoke to me. Other people are like, I just had so much peace. And I'm like, awesome. I don't know what that's like. I've got lots of other things that I've experienced. But at this meeting, I went up to the front and I got prayer and I'm like, God, if you want to do it, do it. Like, I don't care. Like, that's great. And so this beautiful, lovely, older lady was praying for me. And she put her two fingers on my forehead like this and she just began to kind of push. And so I'm sitting there, I'm like, Nothing's happening, but she just keeps pushing. <laughs> and I, here's the thing. Me in the past, me as a younger person, even, even with my passion for God and my love for him, I would have resisted. I would have gone, unless God strikes me with his own lightning, I am stronger than you, and you are not going to push me down. <laughs> but what would I really have been protecting in that moment? My pride, right? My appearance. You know what I did? I said, this means a lot to her. So I'm going down. (laughs) 
So she pushed, and I laid back. You know, I, I did it a little slowly because I'm like, I'm kind of heavy. I don't want to, like, do so, break somebody's arms. So I'm like, all right. So I, and they put the sheet over me. But here's what I did. Listen, I didn't lay there going, this is weird, this is weird. I could have done that because it was. You know what I did? I said, Daddy, what do you have for me? What do you have for me right now? Do you want to touch me? Do you want to talk to me? What do you have? I let myself be vulnerable. I let myself seek him in a moment where other people were having encounters, I'm sure, and I wasn't. I didn't beat myself up. I just said, God, what do you want to do? Whatever you want to do, I'm here. I'm yours. I'm all about it. And I did that for like five minutes. And then I started looking around going, how long are people supposed to be slain in the spirit for? <laughs> I'm like, what's a proper amount of time? <laughs> I didn't know, so... I waited a couple minutes, and then I, I nicely just took the sheet off and got in my chair. The point is, it was an opportunity where I could choose to guard myself, or I could choose to let him in. I could choose to let that opportunity be a moment where I'm going to chase him. I'm going after you. One of the biggest things that keeps our hearts from getting vulnerable is shame. And shame is really easily understood as a fear of disconnection. Is there something about me that if other people know or see that would make me unworthy of connection? One of the, the chief researchers, you know, studiers of shame and vulnerability is Brene Brown, and she wrote this amazing thing, and she said, she said, if I took all the people I interviewed and divided them into people who really have a sense of worthiness a strong sense of love and belonging, and those who struggle for it, folks who are always wondering if they're good enough, there was only one variable that separated these people, and that was the people who have a strong sense of love and belonging believe they're worthy of, lo worthy, believe they're worthy of love and belonging. She said the one thing that keeps us out of connection is our fear that we're not worthy of connection. What these people had in common was a sense of courage. Core means heart. And the original definition of the word was to tell your story with your whole heart. These people had the courage to be a person. They had compassion. And we can't have compassion to other people if we can't treat ourselves well. Anybody hear anything in the Bible that sounds like that? They had connection. She says they also fully embraced vulnerability. They believed that what made them vulnerable made them beautiful. They didn't talk about vulnerability being comfortable. Neither did they talk about it being excruciating. They just talked about it being necessary. They talked about being willing to say, I love you first. The willingness to do something where there were no guarantees. The willingness to invest in a relationship that may or may not work out. They saw vulnerability as fundamental. Listen, with vulnerability, I think this is really, really, really important, so I may say it twice. There's no such thing as somebody who is vulnerable by personality or because it's comfortable or easy. There is no such thing as it's just their nature to be vulnerable. It is not human nature to be vulnerable. It is not a personality thing. It is a deliberate choice to say, I'm willing to say my pride down, my reputation down, I'm gonna be vulnerable.
One of my favorite examples of this is David dancing as the ark is brought into the city. Here's the king of the country, a warrior, someone who is known as like, he raised mighty men in a cave. Like people talk about David and they're like, oh, he was all like writing poems and playing music. No, this guy was cutting off things of people. This guy was raising up men in a cave. Men who killed lots of people because they're these big, t- like, we're talking about, like, The Rock. <laughs> Would have been one of David's mighty men. And yet when the, when the ark is being brought into the city, he's so passionate for the presence of God coming back to that place that he, he just says, this is just before you, God. And basically in his underwear, linen ephod, he is dancing like a mad fool. It says he danced with all his might. He danced with all his might. He didn't hold anything back. And everybody's watching him. And what if they see me? And what if they ridicule me? What if they mock me? Guess what? We live in a mocking culture. We live in a culture that loves to mock. And David said, I don't care. And he did get mocked. He did get ready. His own wife said, you're being an idiot. And David said, I don't care. That wasn't for you. That wasn't for you. Can we do that? Can we say, Daddy, I want your presence so bad. I want your presence so bad. I don't care if I look like a fool during worship. I will dance before you. I will sing out loud. My voice will crack. You guys hear me singing loud out here. There's times my voice cracks. Guarantee it. And I don't care because it's not for you. (laughs) I love you. It's for him. Can we say, listen, vulnerability is not just something that's meant to be expressed in private. It's not just something that is designed to be expressed in private. If I only expressed my love for my wife when we could be alone together, that would destroy my intimacy with her. There is a piece of coming together corporately where we can say, look, here's the opportunity. Like, I don't have to make time at home to put on my worship. I mean, I do, I'm not saying don't do that. (laughs) But I'm saying when you come on Sunday, like it's already happening. You didn't have to plan it. We just come, and here's the opportunity to meet with him corporately and say it's not, it's not about what they think of how I'm worshiping, but it's about the fact that together we get to come and be fools in front of him and say we love you, and it's for you. And listen, Jesus says there's something that happens when two or more come together in his name and unity and agreement when a room full of people says holy spirit we want you here holy spirit we would rather have you here making things maybe look a little bit weird than just sit comfortably and and do our nice little thing and go home normal can we go after that together can we say i'm willing to be vulnerable i don't care how people look at me because i'm not thinking of how people look at me I'm just going after him. When we do that, automatically our hearts start coming into alignment. Listen, you don't, you don't tune a guitar. The best way to tune a guitar, you know, when you tune things, how many of you guys have heard of like a, a tuning pipe, like a, 
a pitch pipe or a tuning fork. A tuning fork, thank you. If I try to tune all, all these instruments to each other, how much time am I going to be spending up here? It's going to be a long time. And I'll be like, oh, I misheard that. No, I misheard that. But when we all tune to one tuning fork, we're all coming into alignment in that way. When we're all worshiping and we're coming into the presence of the Holy Spirit, we're coming to Jesus, we're coming into alignment. I don't have to look around and go, are they singing as loud as me? I better back off a little bit. Are my hands too high? You know, we talk about, is it down here? Where is the acceptable hand place? Listen, sometimes we have to just let ourselves be moved and tell our body. Sometimes I have to tell my body, you're going to worship. Sometimes I have to tell my body, you're going to worship because in doing that, it draws my spirit into alignment. Does that make sense? Sometimes to be vulnerable, you have to act vulnerable. Sometimes being vulnerable means just choosing to do something vulnerable and letting your spirit, letting your emotions follow. God is seeking an encounter with us. He wants to give us more. But it's always an invitation. He's not going to force it on you. He says, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. We get to choose. Are you going to open the door? Listen, being vulnerable, it looks different for everybody. Just because someone's sitting down doesn't mean they're not vulnerable. Just because someone's raising their hands high doesn't mean they are being vulnerable. We can't judge each other's vulnerability. All I can do is appeal to you, are you going to open the door? Are you going to let God? <laughs> yeah. Herman says yes. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. Here's what I want to do. We're going to, as we close today, um, we're going we're gonna to put on a video with some worship, and I want to invite you, if you want help with this, if you want to experience him and you haven't, or it's been a while, or you just want more, I'm going to invite you to come up for prayer. And as we close, listen, if you feel good and you don't feel that tug and you don't need to do that, that is totally fine. Again, we're not judging who comes or who doesn't come. But we're going to take a little time as we close. And if you want ministry, this is a time you can either be where you are in worship or you can come to the front. If you need to talk and mingle and go, that's fine. It's not going to be disruptive. But I want to invite you. There's something about getting prayed for that helps us to get unstuck. I can't tell you how often I've been locked up and it didn't get free until I was willing to take the vulnerable step of asking someone else to pray for me. So if you'd like that today, we're going to get the, the, this video on and then just come on up. And we're going to have uh, Ryan and Joylene up here and Pastor Joel, if you don't mind joining us for, for prayer up here and just come on up if you'd like to pray with somebody. God, we love you. We ask that you would help us to walk in this vulnerability, to open our hearts to you completely, to not care, God, what people around us think or see. And God, I ask that you would give our hearts hearts of flesh, that you would take away the heart of stone, that you'd give us tender hearts to you, Jesus. God, we're not after a religion. We're after you. 
Where I'm still in your presence. It's Holy Spirit come. Where all noise dies down.